We'll cut it in post. No, we won't. Damn it. Someday I'll cut something in post, just you watch. No, we're never going to cut anything in post. We've already cut things in post. Where do you think we get our blooper footage from? Welcome to Back in the Field, Episode 5. I'm Carl. My name is Arthi, and this time we're doing something different with our recording. It's going to be super fun for you guys, hopefully. We're trying out a situation where each of us has a mic, and we're on opposite sides of the room, and I get really self-conscious about how loudly I breathe. (laughs) And I couldn't see Carl up until 30 seconds ago, so this is going to be super fun for all of us. Speaking of things that are super fun for all of us, today we're going to talk about the vulture! Finally, we get to an episode that we unequivocally like. Yes, I really love this episode. Everything from the cold open all the way to the end tag. This is definitely one of my faves. This is, I think, pretty universally the episode where people who are on the fence about this show start loving it. Yeah, in fact, I actually tell people who I know that if they are kind of on the fence about the show, if they're not sure if they like it or not, to give it until the vulture before they decide. Or just watch the vulture as soon as they've watched the pilot. Yeah, they could probably skip most of the middle part. Honestly, like we talked about this at ME time, but he says at the end of ME time, we shall never speak of this again. And they don't. Nothing that happens in ME time is actually like comes back in the by the end of the first season. There is some stuff. Is is there really nothing that happens in ME time that matters at all? The case doesn't matter. The portrait comes back, but that's like a background joke. It's not a foreground joke. Yeah, uh, Terry's drawing skills never come back yet either. That's terrible. I thought that that would come back. I know, I really hoped it would, but it hasn't yet. I don't know. No, too bad. Too bad, so sad. Anyway, let's talk about what makes this episode so great instead of going on and on about what makes all our previous podcast episodes skippable. (laughs) Sorry, you guys are stuck with us if you're still watching this episode. Jesus, yeah, and and hopefully our improved audio quality is proof of our improved ability to talk about the show now. So I mentioned that I love this episode from the cold open to the end tag. Let's talk about the cold open because that's super delightful. I love that cold open. Sure, the cold open is them discussing their uh each of their oldest arrests which seems at the beginning to be kind of standard stuff jake just arrested some really old person Mm -hmm. amy was once terrified that her 95 year old 95 96 year old arrest would die in the backseat of her car or or flasher yeah (laughs) and scully for some reason thinks that bagging two 50 year old twins will count as a 100 year old because he's not very clever but actually, that's the cleverest thing he probably says all season, so. I can't come up with a counterexample. <laughs> but then Charles kind of comes in and he's like a 68-year-old, which, relatively speaking, not that old, given that the average human lifespan is, what, 80 now? And then they're like, that's not that old. And then it's Rosa, actually, who figures out that Charles is not talking about his oldest arrest. <laughs> He's talking about sex stuff. Yes. And actually, I was telling Carl that these the scenes where they're sort of in their downtime in in sort of the bullpen when they're all talking to each other are some of my favorites because I suspected when, we, when they were doing the discussion about their favorite cop movie that it was the scenes were largely improvised. But this one definitely made me think they are improvised for the most part because, <laughs> as I told Carl... Uh, Jake, or I guess Andy Samberg's reaction to Joe Lotruglio 
or Charles, like, keeping on going about when you're with an older woman, <laughs> and that's how I met her. She was my friend's grandmother. Like, that series of, like, yes and that happens there is, and in fact, I think Charles actually says, yes, that's actually how I met her. She was a, somebody's grandmother in my neighborhood. There, there's his, his reaction of, like, he's, like, covers his ears, he, like, winces, and then Charles says, it's like having sex with the transformer and his nobody that is nobody's fantasy that that entire like bit right there as they like segued out of the scene made me think that that was definitely improvised and that all of them were starting to break character there was also a light to andy sandberg's eyes and face which reminds me of the scene from the first episode welcome to the murder he just had a total manic glint, like he there's nowhere he'd rather be, which I think comes out much more improv than when he's being his character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, Carl would know because Andy Samberg spoke at Carl's graduation. I couldn't see his face though; it was far away. Also, it was it, it was there was a dude making out with him <laughs> in the way of his face. <laughs> no, but like this is this is probably one of my favorite cold opens of the season, hands down. It provides a kind of energy and chemistry, which defines all of their best moments. And that keeps up throughout the entire episode, which is what makes it so good, so much better than what they've had so far. Exactly. This episode is on the entire time. Exactly. It starts out with a team moment and follows through with that all the way to the end, which I really liked. And I was telling Carl that I, I actually think that probably the vulture is in the top three strongest episodes for the season oh hands down yeah and i think so what are your other top two the bet and charges and specs okay i think those three the three of these episodes together are probably the closest the show gets to a perfect episode charges and specs hits every single emotional note we've been waiting for on the season and the vulture is the first time we see that sure i think that what charges and specs and the vulture have in common in particular is that they both derive conflict externally. Mm-hmm. They In the Charges and Specs, the conflict is the case that they all need to solve to save Jake's ass. <laughs> in the Vulture, the conflict is the Vulture. Mm-hmm. Everyone on the team wants to beat the Vulture. Everyone. And arguably, I mean, an honorable mention for my top three is Hands Down Tactical Village, which has a similar thing. The quote-unquote common enemy is sort of constructed. It's the, it's the 8-2, basically, their record. But... There is still a common enemy or there is still a common goal that the team has to sort of strive together for. So we see when they're all working together against the vulture, we see that Jake in particular, Mm -hmm. when he lets everyone else onto his team, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the real like moral of this episode, (laughs) we see him be a lot more accepting of what the others have to bring to the table. This is really epitomized in the bar scene, right? While they're coming up with ways to get back at the vulture jake is writing down everyone else's ideas not really coming up with any of his own just writing down what everyone says he even writes down the time that scully asked for mashed potatoes (laughs) he doesn't ever care what scully thinks but he does care about those mashed potatoes at least enough to make a joke about it and i mean we should not to excuse their behavior but it is worth pointing out that certainly by the time they leave the bar they're all kind of drunk (laughs) it's great i don't know you're right that the the team feeling is certainly epitomized by the bar scene and actually there's great like little interactions between every single person in in the bar scene we see amy and rosa are standing kind of shoulder to shoulder with one another and then amy and jake sort of have a little bit of repartee 
Charles is like the 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 like let me like golden retrievering. He's he's being hooch to Jake's Turner. He's helpering. Yes. And I most of the ideas that we hear definitely the starting note, which is unbelievably dark. He's gonna call the vulture for the ho- the hospital and tell him all his family members died of cancer. To the final idea, which is to gift basket his motorcycle or whatever, mm-hmm. or his car. I don't know what it's he has. A, it's definitely a motorbike. Sure. Because we see it, anyway. Those ideas both come from Charles, as do most of the interim bad ideas, which involve going into his apartment and burning popcorn in the microwave. <laughs> which, by the way, would actually be terrible. If somebody burnt popcorn in the microwave I don't own in my apartment... I would pretty much hate them forever. So we should talk about what makes the Vulture such a threat to them, why they all band together against him, and why we're totally behind them. Mm-hmm. I think first off, it's Dean Winters, who's the worst. No, actually, this is a great thing. The actor is great, but he always plays the worst. He's a good person? Yeah. I don't believe you. This Get out is... of my apartment. Hey, come just because he's mayhem listen actually this is this is the classic trope of nice guy evil character this is actually a trope like he's super nice apparently just really fun to work with and just great to fans he also just recovered from like a serious like life-threatening bacterial infection um, oh no yeah okay i won't hate on him right now he, uh, but his character is so bad his he always plays the worst he played tina Fey's. he played, he Liz played dennis duffy yeah. yeah and he also is mayhem in the, the insurance commercials right that guy he's also he's always this guy he's always this guy he's he's the amalgam of the entourage guys in one person he takes credit that he doesn't deserve that's his entire shtick he steals from everyone he's like the white guy he i think he's like colonial imperialism basically also sexual harassment that's his main thing he sexually harasses everyone regardless of gender race creed anything he sexually harasses charles boyle (laughs) i don't think we see it as much because we're really focused on him smacking jake's ass and (laughs) you know calling santiago foxy which gets a lot more jiffing than him smacking jake's ass but he he's like he tells boyle he's sexy and it disconcerts boyle so much he walks into a door which is interesting it's interesting to me that you you mentioned the the fact that like nobody seems to be (laughs) shipping jake vulture because honestly if this were any other show they would be yeah i don't know why that's not a thing is that really never been a thing? I don't think anyone ships Jake Vulture. Has anyone written fake about Jake Vulture? Not as far as I've been able to see. Fanfic challenge! <laughs> soundboard. <laughs> we do not have a soundboard. No, we don't. But We will never have a soundboard. Probably not, no. It's expensive. We're, we're very not that expensive. <laughs> but buying a second mic was already a struggle for us. Like world of drugs struggle is real you guys um no but seriously uh there is not a lot of jake vulture fic and that surprises me especially because i was sitting with carl and i was speculating a brooklyn 99 amelie au i wrote an amelie au a long time ago which is an alternate universe for some thing in the style of the film amelie which is like a very french pastoral film and I was thinking about it, and my initial instinct was to cast Jake and the Vulture as Audrey Tateau and and the male lead. And I realized, I was like, wait, hang on. <laughs> that doesn't work. They hate each other. This is a different movie than Chocolat, right? 100% different movie. Cool. 
Because I can't tell if I've seen Amelie. I'm sure I've seen Chocolate. Amelie, and we will, we'll talk about this later. I'm honestly, so one, I'm honestly surprised that there's not more Jake Vulture fic. Because legitimately, if this were any other program, I feel like the slash goggles would be firmly on. Also, it's surprising because the show explicitly makes the point that you can hate the vulture and still think he's hot. Like, yeah. that's Rosa's whole thing with him, right? Yeah. Like, it's not even Rosa vulture fic. And Rosa wants that. Like, when you, she's when he's sitting at Jake's desk waiting for Jake to do all the work for him, <laughs> she's, like, standing there, and she has a really open stance, and she's staring at him the whole time. Mm-hmm. And she's almost but not quite murdering a stress ball. But, like, I'd like to point out that the, the I think the vulture thrives on people not responding to him because Rosa d- makes no secret of the fact that she's very attracted to the vulture. But actually, I was thinking about this. He never, I don't think he ever sexually harasses her. No, he doesn't hit on Rosa at all. Not once because I think he knows it'd be reciprocated. I don't think he would know what to do with a sexual partner if he had one. So, like, the thing about Rosa being into him is, like, Sorry. it's just really... <laughs> she really hates him like the thing she says is you can hate someone and still think they're hot and she like sure her language is all i want to cut his stupid sexy throat or something she has opinions about whether or not he has a cedar closet and i'm sure she doesn't respect anyone who has a cedar closet but she's still kind of into it and when it comes to him and this is an entree to like jake responds to this his example of someone who hates but who he thinks is hot is tanya harding figure skater who did a bad thing do do, we, do other people not know what the bad thing she did was i don't know i was very small do when you know what the moment. bad thing she did? she like hobbled a, another skater yeah she and uh it was either her dad or her manager they might have been the same person honestly basically took out another olympic figure skater by just by basically by breaking her ankle they attacked her with a pipe or something yeah yeah or a baseball Rose. bat rose's response to this person being brought up yeah she's thick she had a response immediately. I think she's into that. I think she's bi. I mean, I mean everyone in fanfic already thinks this, but they're mostly thinking because of Amy. But in fact, I don't think Amy is her type. I think Tanya Harding is her type. Thick? Yeah, I could see it. I could actually see Rosa Gina. Uh, no. No, I think there's too much personality there. Yeah, actually. too much. Ne- I think there's too much negative energy for each of them to feed off of. Yeah, I think Rosa would kill her. If Gina didn't first. Yeah, but Rosa keeps an axe in her home. Yeah, but Gina would probably put... Let's stop this. It's true that they would be doing it at Gina's place because Rosa's not letting anyone into her apartment. Absolutely not. She lives way too close to the priest. We're not doing this. So We're not doing this? We could do this. You're going to be writing this fake by the end of the episode. I hate you. He, this would be the fourth one. I'm yeah, but still... you haven't actually written any of them. Oh, God. Are you kidding? I'm like 30% of the way through all of the stories. That's the problem. That's not the same thing as having written any of them. I hate all of you. We're fighting now. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Remember when we recorded, we recorded the slump and we basically laughed through 20 minutes of that 30-minute podcast? You mean yesterday? <laughs> they don't know that. They always know when we're filming. They know every time. Oh, God. We tell them every episode what <laughs> friggin' past time it is. Okay, fine. So, back on track. I will say my the vulture is so disgusting. He's so intensely like, you feeling sexy? Are you? He's like straight up catcalling Boyle. Which That's is weird. full on street harassment right there. And Boyle looks so uncomfortable. He's like got his game face on. He's like, how do I respond to this? Yeah. How, how do I not make a fool of myself now that I'm being catcalled? <laughs> what is this experience? 
Which is hilarious because when Gina does it to him later in the season, he's like, eyes up here. Well, he's much more comfortable, as we've seen, mm. with the idea of Gina giving him attention mm. and the idea of the vulture giving him attention. But also it's like a competitive thing. Boyle doesn't want to compete with most men, especially not Hercules, his ex-wife's new boyfriend. But he will compete with the vulture because the vulture is the enemy. He will fight the vulture, mm-hmm. where he would never stand up to anyone else the same way. Mm-hmm. There's a nice nuance here as well, which is that obviously we live in a post-wire world, and, and it's definitely sort of the hipster thing to enjoy that I don't show. know spoilers. It's okay. No spoilers. But Are the- they in prison or something? <laughs> That's Oz. That's Oz. You're thinking of Oz. You're saying it's a crime thing and they never go to prison? Well, I mean, nobody, nobody, not the point. I could have been thinking of Orange is the New Black. You don't know. Or Breaking Bad. I hear they go to prison in that. Spoilers! I hear they get uh, sealed in barrels in that. No, that's The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug. No one see that movie. I'll fight you if you enjoy that movie. Not really, but Maybe. like, I'll fight you if you're Peter Jackson and you think that that was a good movie. Oh my if you're God. listening, uh, come on our podcast. Dear Peter Jackson, I hated the latest thing you did. Please come on our podcast. Excuse me, the latest two things he did. Boom. So anyway. I've got to fight someone every episode. You do. And I've got to fight two people in this episode because I didn't fight anyone in the slump. You're right. We were fighting each other for screen time. Air time in that one? It happens on a screen. It does. Okay, wait, hang on. So the, the my point was about The Wire was that in The Wire, the heroes are largely involved with major crimes. And it's interesting because in real police work, major crimes usually get, they do get to pick what cases they want to take, but they also usually take important stuff. In the season finale, that type of case that Jake is working on, where he's like trying to like bust corruption, would have gone to major crimes. And, and we see neither hide nor hair of the vulture in that episode. Well, this is another example where the worst villains in the show are all the corrupt cops. Mm. This is really important because it's pretty difficult to legitimately enjoy a police comedy in the modern era where the police are mostly a problem in society, I think, more than a solution. (laughs) Yeah. But making every corrupt cop who will take every advantage they can get and be really terrible to criminals. We don't see any police brutality in the show. We see, like, hints that people enjoy it, but they would never actually do that. But, like, the people we don't like, like Podolsky and the Vulture, they're capable of anything, which is what makes them villains. Yeah. It's it's interesting you mentioned that. Jake, the closest Jake gets to police brutality is playing a guitar badly while screaming. Actually, he's a super terrible cop in 48 hours. Oh, he's the worst cop in 48 hours, but mostly because he's infringing on somebody's rights and everyone takes that really seriously. It's pretty great. So let's go back to the bar. We've, we've talked a bit about the vulture hitting on everyone and we, and we talked a bit earlier about how they, there, are, there are great moments with the bar scene, but I definitely want to talk about how this is probably the first time that we've seen everyone really like kind of drunk and kind of loose and just really a little more relaxed i think the 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 immediate professionalism barrier is down yeah we see all kinds of we see rosa smiling Mm. we see this most in rosa because it's the biggest difference like this is secretly a great episode for rosa because we think a lot about jake and amy in this episode we're going to get to them Mm. but in this episode rosa actually opens up to all these people who are supposed to know nothing about her (laughs) she reveals her preferences 
And she talks about cedar cabinets, as I mentioned. But also, like, when she's talking about cedar cabinets, she's really directly bonding with Amy. Being like, I bet he would have one. And Amy's like, yeah, I'm going to keep drinking. We've been having this talk about the vulture who I'm not into, but it's cool that you're into him. Amy Amy is actually great in this because I feel like because she's like kind of loose and kind of like a touch tipsy or whatever, that she has way more patience for her coworkers here than I think she would at any other time. Yeah, she lets a lot of stuff roll off her. Mm. Which I think that surprisingly... Most of them are, it's really weird. In this show, a lot of them are better versions of themselves when they're this level of drunk. Mm. Like, Scully's really willing to try to run four blocks when he's drunk. It's it's still not going to work out, but he's willing to do it. Although, Scully will always do anything you tell him to. It's true. Give Scully a direct order and he'll, unless, of course, you're telling him that if he doesn't shape up, he won't live to see retirement. I mean, within human capacity. (laughs) You know, but like, Amy is definitely... I, I I agree. Probably physically, Rosa is the most like obviously different. She's talking. She's smiling. She's her whole body language is much more open and like receptive. I guess. But Amy's also much physically looser. Yeah. Like she walks with with less. She just has less pent up tension, mm. which is really good. Mm-hmm. And she can say what she feels, which is why this is such a great Jake and Amy episode. Mm. Uh, so let's move on to that subject. Sure. I love talking about Jake and Amy. So everyone focuses and everyone gifs the moment on the bus. Yeah, which I have opinions about. Strong opinions. Not, Give me these opinions. Uh, I mean, I, I just have opinions about them that I don't think Carl... I have a theory that Carl doesn't necessarily buy. Uh, which is... We talked about this. Which is that... This is my second fight. This is not really a fight. You don't know that yet. <laughs> we, we, we had the, like... We had the pre Whatever. I might have gotten angrier since we started the discussion. Whoa. What? You don't know. What? You don't know. I, I know you all in a... Are you, are you, are you West Side storying at me right now? Is that what you're doing? He's snapping while dancing, you guys. They can hear. They can hear you snapping. I don't think they can hear you dancing. My chair creaks. It's true. I was telling Carl that on my, more recent, on my most recent rewatch of this episode, one of the things I noticed is taking into account that everyone's a little bit tipsy and taking to... Like, when Amy breaks in... Jake is saying, I just get so excited about solving cases. And Amy says, I know, I know, I get it. You know, I think she says, we all do the same thing or we all feel the same You want to be the best. We all do. Yeah. So she says, she says something like that. And it struck me, like, if you watch Jake's face in that, in that scene, if you just watch his expression, there's this sort of like small, it looks like he's got a small moment of realization there. And it looks to me like, when I was watching this last time, I never noticed this before, but I was like, I think it never occurred to him until she straight up spelled it out that other people, that other people he works with love his job the same way he does and to the same extent that he does. They may not manifest it the same way he does, but they do. They, they love it. And I was thinking about how, for me, you know, I remember that moment when I went on the, went on the internet when I was like 11 and realized that all these other people loved Harry Potter in the exact same way I did because nobody else in my immediate life seemed to care about these books the way I did. And so I was telling Carl, it's like, fanishness doesn't necessarily have to be limited to the thing you enjoy in your leisure time. You can be fanish about your job if you're doing something that you're passionate about. But there is nothing more... It's a little heartbreaking to think about how, like, we know Jake's... We learn later that Jake's been a cop for about eight years or at least a detective for at least eight years. And think about living eight years of your life, loving this, loving the thing you do super intensely and not feeling like everyone around you loves it the same way. 
So counterpoint. I think that this is definitely a moment of, of real realization for him. Mm-hmm. I don't think the connection to finding a fanish community is a good one for a couple of reasons. First, I think there's a kind of more applicable professional connection he's making. He's realizing that other people are equally committed to this job, this vocation, that's been with him forever and that he's been training to do. And that is a real thing that happens to people. Finding a professional community is a real analog in the world. But second, I think we also see him make fan connections, specifically with Bernice when he's on the double date with Boyle. Like when she mentions Die Hard, we see the way his face lights up. And the way his face lights up is not what's happening in the on the bus. Because as much as he loves Die Hard, what's actually more important to him is being a cop. Mm. And the expression of that vocation, it's more than a profession to him, is more important than the things he loves. It's the thing he is. And recognizing that Amy is co-equally that, is co-equally dedicated to the part of the job that he loves, forces him to respect her. Yeah, no, I I fully agree with what you're saying. And I also would like to point out that I know that I'm kind of over, I'm like diving too deep into the text here to the point where like I'm on the other side of the text and like, I'm like, where am I? I, I agree that like I'm I'm overdoing this. But that said, I think... I think it was, I thought it was an interesting way of reading that scene. I don't necessarily myself even hold a lot of water in it, but I think like, I don't, I don't even myself think it holds a lot of water, but I do think it's an interesting way of looking at the scene. Not necessarily that like full fanish, like blah, 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 but there is, there's, there's that feeling of realizing that other people like the thing that you like, whether it's the work that you do or this book that you read, those feelings are kind of two sides of the same coin. They're analogous feelings. And I think, like, I would argue the difference is a lot of people love Die Hard. And it's, like, not a secret. But, like, cop work? He says straight up to Amy in Broken Feather, there are a lot of parts of this job that suck. But realizing that the other people, like, enjoyed the job as much as he does regardless, that's a good feeling. I think that that respect is the core of their relationship Mm -hmm. going forward. Mm -hmm. His recognition that she's as good a cop as he is. And that she cares as much as he does, not just for her own advancement, but because solving bad guys is awesome. Yeah. Is absolutely the core. But there's a number of things that have to happen to make it to make it register for him and to make this also be an episode that makes Amy like him more. I would argue that this is probably the first like really big bridge that Jake and Amy cross in the course of their sort of relationship to each other. I think it's a really important moment where he realizes that she does actually enjoy this job. Sure. But also the thing that comes after her saying that, the thing that everyone pays more attention to. The butt headline. You don't have to be a butthead about it. Mm -hmm. And his response is like, it's super deadpan and it like makes her laugh. Yeah. And she kind of loves it, him deflating the situation. But I think he also needed to because I think some of that was real. And I think the reason it was real is because... Earlier in the episode, when the vulture called her a foxy ma, she said that it was Jake's fault. And I think he took that to heart. Like, she's getting sexually harassed because he wouldn't let her help him. Mm -hmm. That fucking stings. Mm -hmm. And I think that that made a kind of receptivity to being called out about something he can change Mm -hmm. later in the episode. And he does. He gives her credit for the solve. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is, and it's good to point out that this is post Emmy time. This is him 
post an episode where his whole the whole damn lesson uh, the whole fucking lesson of me time is jake has to learn to be a better partner and specifically secondary but ultimately partner and this is part of that you know the the relationship between partners is is really unique and so knowing that your partner actively blames you for a situation that you really did cause is is kind of important and so yeah basically i'm agreeing with you and adding my police stuff so okay we've talked about the seriousness and bolts let's talk about how friggin' cute they are they're cute as hell i just love that she laughs i love that he that she that he makes her laugh and that like she lets herself laugh because usually when she laughs at his jokes she's kind of like covering her mouth or like hiding her face a little bit or he can't see her reaction but and and this is still kind of like shut up stop making me laugh Mm -hmm. but like you know, he sees it, he knows that it landed. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they have a kind of bantering chemistry from there on. Pretty much. Like, in the, in the, at the crime scene, sh- her only wanting to stab him, that is totally sexual. No, no, no. Use the line you used yesterday. It is overtly sexual. Yes, yes. And I agree, because it's like, they, they're, they're great from here on. Like, they're just great from here on. The entire act of role-play in a crime scene, though, I think, is a primal one for Jake Peralta. He has a bunch of things about it, <laughs> and he's turned it into the bedrock of a bunch of relationship-forming arguments. Like, Boyle's always the victim. He doesn't want to be the victim anymore. Every time they have that argument, they're an old married couple with weird issues. <laughs> but, like, in this scene, when he when Amy... Says she only wants to stab him. Boyle immediately steps away because Boyle's a good shipper. And he's like, yeah, I'll be the door. <laughs> and he gets into being that door. You can see him settle the role in his face. I, you can see him adopt the physicality of a door. I like the idea that Boyle's been shipping it for forever. He just didn't know that he could express his shipping feelings. Yeah. Which, by the way, friends, don't ship your friends with other friends. It's, it's an exploitative activity. Just don't. Although, honestly, I've shipped coworkers, so. I mean, you can ship them, just don't try to do anything about it. God, no, not in real life. <laughs> Write that, all the fan fiction in your bedroom, guys. That has happened to me. Oh, no. Yeah, I've, I've been shipped in multiple ways with multiple people, some of which led to deeper friendships. But, like, I was shipped with my roommate freshman year and really embarrassing fan fiction was written about me. <laughs> and it did not characterize me very well. Like, I have never actually been... Like a hay behind my ears, overall wearing naive from Oklahoma. I've only ever been from Oklahoma and arguably a naive. See, the only fan fiction that was ever written was or was an orally written story, basically. And unfortunately, it was the most tragic version because it was there's this guy I liked in high school, and he uh, he's actually a sports writer now. He's totally cool, and like we haven't talked in six years. But the the important thing is uh she we she it was just kind of heartbreaking because i just remember he was he's dating the girl he's basically affianced to now and affianced fancy two pinkies carl sorry it was getting a little too real it was getting go on anyway just kind of tragic she i remember he was he was dating her already by then and my friend kind of was like actually no you two be a great couple here let me write fan fiction about this and i was like do you realize how much you're breaking my heart right now because i carried a torch for that boy for like seven years Ah, well. So that fun conversation aside, Jake and Amy are adorable. They're so adorable. They're so adorable. And her wanting to kill him solves the case. And, and when she's drunk, 
She solves cases Jake Peralta style. Yes. I really like this because I think I think over the course of the season, we're shown more and more that they are more alike than they are different. And this is probably the first indicator of that we see. Well, what happens is sometimes the structure of the situation, whether it's like, you know, Amy being a little tipsy or Jake already having admitted he was wrong or him making things fun for her in some way, allow her to get out of her own head. And Amy Santiago is always going to be her own biggest problem. So, like, when she gets out of her head in this episode, she sees the solution instantly. And they can realize that the it's a magnetic corkscrew in the trash chute. Mm-hmm. And Jacob eventually actually gives her credit for that because mm-hmm. he didn't come up with that. He shouldn't, he shouldn't get credit. No, he shouldn't. And actually, I think one of my favorite things about this episode is just that that everyone gets a moment. Amy gets the moment where she looks at the... She looks at the, the, the fridge and she sees she sees that it must be it probably is a magnetic corkscrew. Charles is the one who, by nature of getting dropped down the chute, <laughs> finds it. And he actually holds up the corkscrew and he says, This is the proudest moment of my career and then promptly has more trash fall on him. He also caught a dog. He also caught a dog. <laughs> they, and then it's Rosa who figures out that the weapon is a corkscrew. Yeah, and she gets praised by Jake. Like, he says that's actually really helpful. And he responds properly to her emotional stimulus of feeling jilted because he's shushing what she thinks is her but is actually a baby. Yeah. Like, he responds very well emotionally in that situation. Yes. Yes, yes, exactly. This is every single, I mean, sparring Scully and Hitchcock, who never get, Scully gets a win. He almost runs to the store. That's a win. He knows where a drugstore is. It's four blocks away. Actually... So this is a little off topic because it's better from back in the bar. My favorite part of this episode is when they realize they're going to go to the Vulture's house. And there's just kind of a cascade of things like Amy getting along with it, even though she normally wouldn't. Yeah, that that is probably the proof that they must be kind of drunk because she's like, all right, fine, whatever, let's do it. But my favorite is Jake going... We're kind of tipsy. We should not be driving. We're taking the bus. And Charles' response says, I love the bus. <laughs> That's such a legitimate drunk person conversation. Yes. You love things so much when you're drunk. God, drunk. They're all clearly kind of like drunky. And it's just so delightful because there's, there's, there's different kinds of drunk. There's sloppy drunk. And then there's like everything is amazing. <laughs> Lego movie theme song drunk. Please drink responsibly. Thanks, PSA guy. You're welcome. <laughs> because if you don't drink responsibly, you'll die. <laughs> that could actually happen. Yeah, actually, that could actually happen. Super cereal. Yeah, actually, it's really important uh, that you don't drink like that. And then, uh, well, at the end, Jake, uh, Jake takes the fall for the team. Fall. There's not much fall. He takes Holt's disapproval, and I think he gets some, like, grunt work or something. Hmm. But, like... He he also is the one who figures out how to diffuse the vultures, like sort of like ranting anger in the captain's office, and sort of just generally diffuses the situation. He and he and Amy, by the way, are the ones who are pushing, who are holding Charles inside the inside the trash chute. I get that that's not Rosa because I get the feeling that she doesn't actually like. She kind of flirts with Boyle in this episode. But I think she can also tell how much he, like, wants to be close to her. And she, I, I think it makes sense that she doesn't really want to touch him. Mm-hmm. And that's fair. Although but also, her... Jake and Amy are a team. She's also the worst lookout. Because she should have... <laughs> she was clearly try- supposed to be lookout, and she was not. She was too interested in seeing him get trapped in a trash chute. 
Which incidentally, we talked about this earlier, but like, I know why they put Jolo True Glue in a trash chute. But I'm also just like, from a pure logic perspective, Amy or Gina has to be smaller. Yeah, but the way it's filmed, it's made to look like Amy is taller than Charles. Yeah, but she's... Consistently. I mean, I believe that. She's also wearing like three-inch heels. But we never see that. Yeah, we do. We see it in um, Halloween, actually. Uh, she Mission Impossible's into the captain's office, and we see her shoes for a brief second. Right, but they never draw attention to that. I think no. the filming techniques are meant to imply that she's legitimately larger than him. I, I Yeah, I agree. Also, their their look, like when he claims he has broad shoulders but narrow hips, they kind of look at him skeptically, and they all look at his hips, and he's like, I give up. <laughs> I know my actual body shape. I'm going in the trash chute. <laughs> it's true, it's true, it's true. I, just like, I like that, because we've talked before about Charles sort of taking on more... A hegemonic femme femininity. I think that's actually in a trash episode. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm just saying that we've talked about it. I'm oh, not we've talked we're... about it. Yeah. They... Not anywhere they could hear. Yeah. Sorry, guys. We trashed that conversation. It wasn't that great. But the the crux of it, this is a nice, it's a nice moment where this show is sort of messing with our, with, with social gender expectations. Because, because like, like I'm, I'm reinforcing hegemonic ideas of that women are smaller and, and the show does not. It's kind of kind of nice. It's kind of nice. I'm clearly sexist as well, apparently. <laughs> I can hold sexist ideals but still be a feminist. I, I, it is not my job to say whether you can do that or not. I'm going to cut this part out. <laughs> so, anyway. We don't need to give them Feminism 101? No. God, no. Yo, any male listeners we might have, don't <laughs> define what it means to be a feminist or a woman. It's not your place. Real talk. I don't know if any of you exist. <laughs> no, but I I love everything about the A plot. I love the team together. I my only regret is that Sarge couldn't be part of this. But the thing about that is he's over having a B plot Which is, that is exactly as strong as the A plot. I know. This is a this is a rare episode I think where we only have an A and a B plot. I think from here on out we tend to have a C plot. Yeah, and before this as well. Yeah. But that's because A the A plot is full. It's got Everyone except for Gina, uh, Holt, and Terry. And B, the B-plot... Why did I do it this way? <laughs> so corny. Um, the B-plot is an incredibly important character moment for Terry. Much more than anything in a while. Like, this is them saying, Terry's going to have an arc. And at the end of it, he's going back into the field. Back in the field. Haha. Real podcast title. Uh... <laughs> not our theme song it's kind of a mcdonald's theme song we're doing this again also the b-pot is hilarious like from the moment that judy comes in it goes blam 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 gun range it's gonna be a great time (laughs) this is a nice like she, she this is a nice like also it get, it gets inadvertently called back in um whatever episode that she gets robbed in what is that episode the ebony talking maybe yes i think it is yeah like she's like should i buy a gun should i buy an uzi i think maybe she says machete as well or something i don't know Machete. Oh my god. But like, this is a nice throwback to it because she's like, I live in a really dangerous neighborhood and the cops are the worst. <laughs> but like, 
she's got so many great lines in this in I this know. plot. Like Chelsea from, Brady knocked it out of the park, by the way. And if, from the beginning, with like he's probably talking to you about how your shirts are not tight enough. Maybe <laughs> she kills it. She literally kills it this episode. She's perfect. But and and on the off chance that the the creative team is listening to this, Chelsea Brady, you did great. You were awesome. When when you kill it as Gina, you really kill it. Carl nodded, just for the record. Nodding sound effect. <laughs> but this episode, this B-plot, like, works out all of them. Like, Gina the least, I think. Gina gets a bunch of, ton- of killer lines that they hadn't figured out what her character development is yet. But we see Holt ultimate in his best element, which is rarely displayed, which is he's really cunning and manipulative. He schemes terry out to this gun range oh yeah no they and and he's like and 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 gina's the one who gives up the ghost first she's like it's eight and he's like no there's only seven and holt is actually we don't see this all the time but holt is really manipulative oh yeah he's really schemy and like i think this comes from a full career of having to slip in through the cracks in the letter of the law to get anything. Glorious technicalities. We were talking about this, and, and this will come up again in the episode with Aglinikapa, I'm sure. But we talked about how um, Holt has a tendency to be very literal when he needs to be. Like, I think the other people tend to take him at face value because he's usually pretty stoic. But Holt doesn't necessarily mean everything quite that literally. <laughs> Hence Amy asking about the unicorn in the painting. We can add that in. But Holt, on the other hand, um, like in with respect to the Aglinikapa, he's like, well, they never said no, so I took it as a yes. The other thing that makes this the scenes at the gun range so great is that they're hilarious. They're great. And they only get funnier with more rewatches. I honestly suspect, because Parks and Rec does this a lot, they will let people sort of... Parks and Rec is a little more obvious when people have been improving and they just like spliced all the takes together. But I have a feeling that a lot of the gun range scenes were just straight up improvisation. And Terry Crews is great at improv. Uh, at some point, he must have started telling his cast members the plot of Top Gun. <laughs> and the thing I love about that scene, the thing that got so much better later, is he's telling them the very end of the movie when Holt stops him and says, yes, I've seen the movie. <laughs> they went through the entire rest of the movie, the shitty scene of like, making shit up at the bar and every one of the fighting of the fighter pilot things like they're almost the very end of the movie and that's what Holt stops him well you have to wonder how far they let terry get in counting to a million (laughs) i i completely agree and i mean like (laughs) what uh how do i breathe is such a great like i forgot how to breathe i say that every time i work out just breathe you've done it your whole life how do i breathe is it two in one out (laughs) and then he's like lamaz breathing that's great that's great he looks just like a friend of mine you have a friend who looks like a silhouette yeah (laughs) Uh, it's great oh man i like it i just i like that the most manipulative thing that Gina and Holt do, which is something clearly that they had like colluded to do beforehand, is that they just sort of they stretch him really thin. Like she's like bad boys, gun to the side, 
Gonna scratch my nose with a pistol. Yeah, exactly. And kids, don't scratch your nose with a pistol. Yeah, definitely a bad idea, kids. We're good. We're good role models. Yeah, we're very good role models. We actually are. Neither of us owns a gun or a car. I own a car. It's in another state. Okay. So why would that make me a bad role model? No, it owning doesn't. a car. No, I mean, just saying. You got some weird roles to model. Anyway. Well, in New York, it would be financially irresponsible. Oh, yeah, totally. The point was that Holt and Gina had clearly decided to collude with the with 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 Terry. And like, like she's asking ridiculous questions. He's asking super technical questions. He's trying to show them both the same thing. And then he gets frustrated. He's like, just shut up and let me do it. And he does the thing. And he's great. Because they know that when they stretch Terry to the last point of his annoyance, the way that he snaps at people is to deliver devastatingly competent instruction which we see come back later when the b plot and the a plot like yeah the thing that makes the b plot transcendently useful in this episode is that it solves the emotional problem of the a plot Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. terry comes back with his new confidence and says to jake i was so busy worrying about my own kids that i forgot to take care of my stupid grown-up kids great line and what's great about that too is that it's the show sort of announcing to the audience we're going to start using terry cruz more and you're going to have to deal with that why would anyone have a problem no with it's that? perfect i loved it but like it's also like you know the show saying we we have a commitment to using everyone in our cast which i appreciate you know it's really easy when you have an ensemble to let to let some of the like sort of seemingly tertiary members stay that way Speaking of, congratulations to Joel McKinnon-Miller and uh, Dirk Blocker. Uh, Scully and Hitchcock are now confirmed as regulars for season two. Yeah. They're my favorite non-best policemen who aren't my favorites, but they're pretty great and I ship them. They're super hilarious people too. Like, this is this is good. This is Jerry Gergich and, and, and Donna Mead getting to become full-time cast members on Parks and Rec. Good. Like, it's only going to improve the show. We'll get to see more people being like, I hope I don't turn into you. And maybe they'll actually develop in some way. That'd be awesome. <laughs> beyond shirtlessness and, and and tired. You never get beyond shirtlessness. That's <laughs> like going beyond Thunderdome. Yes. The B plot is great. I just it's funny. Gina's really funny, especially. Like I know I'm supposed to like her after the slump, but I really liked her after this episode. It took me until here to decide if I liked her. And this is why the vulture is such a great app, is because Everyone gets, like, at least some, like, shining moment of spotlight awesome. And the characters who've been getting it a lot, specifically Holt and Jake, get some, but they they share it in a way that's really interesting. Yeah, they develop other people much more. Yeah, which is great. And and I think from here on, the episodes tend to not be centered around Jake and his, like, more, like, today he learned a lesson. from. I mean, 48 Hours is, but it's not as heavy-handed as I feel like. It's all more about the team. Yeah. One thing that Carl said that I really liked when we were discussing this before we recorded was that there are no wasted moments in this episode. Every every single minute of this episode is charged, whether it's like with funny or whether it's with like character development or character moments like with Jake and Amy on the bus and Charles and Rosa on the bus. Um, every single second of this episode is 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 on. There's no off moment. And in every scene, everyone's doing something and they're really using their you know their environment like this is the first episode where there's a floorgasm sign up in holt's window it's just they've really come to inhabit this space and they're all taking up as much room as they can without 
crowding anyone else out. Yeah, this is this is the truest ensemble episode, and it sets a great tone for the rest of the season. Which we will get to starting next episode. From both of us to all of you, this was Back in the Field, Episode 5. I'm Carl. My name is Arthi. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone!